Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Similar to last week, the Old Testament lesson from this week serves to shine a light on the meaning of our gospel lesson. This is not a coincidence. It's common in our lectionary, uh, this feature that, uh, where the lessons work together and are coordinated. That's on purpose. Uh, and it highlights, it highlights um, the great hermeneutical principle that Scripture interprets Scripture, you know, which is hermeneutics is just like uh, kind of a fancy way of uh, the word that's described how we interpret Scripture, like what are the rules that we follow. And one of them is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So you'll see in our lectionary, one of the things I love about it, the Old Testament lesson, the psalm, and the gospel always relate to each other. Now, the epistle lesson sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. Um, the, this morning's actually does, but not, not deliberately. Anyway, our Old Testament lesson is from Micah. And Micah, as you will recall, was a prophet who came to Israel around the same time as the prophet Isaiah. Uh, speaking through the prophet Micah, God rebuked Israel for their idolatry. In this passage, we see that the Lord has an indictment against his people. God has brought them out of Egypt. He's brought them up out of slavery. He's blessed them even in the face of those who opposed them. That's the reference to uh, Balak. He was the king of Moab, and he hired Balaam, a prophet, to curse Israel. And instead, every time Balaam went to curse them, he blessed them. And um, uh, he wouldn't curse them because he was told by God that he would not be, that they would not be cursed by him. <clears throat> and of course, uh, this was God's faithfulness being shown to his chosen people. It was on full display. Yet, in spite of God's faithfulness, the people, Israel, had not kept God's law. We see in this passage an assumed defense of their faithlessness. The Israelites in this passage in Micah are saying, well, what more do you want from me, God? Shall I bring burnt offerings? What if my offerings to you, God, are so much that we fill a river with the blood of all the oxen that we sacrifice? Would that be enough for you, God? Shall I bring you my firstborn son, the fruit of my womb? Is that enough for you, God, to appease you? That's the way they're asked. That's the way this is being phrased, is that this is on their mind. You know, what more can I do for you, God? What more must we do for you? I mean, pause for a moment and... Put the proper perspective on these questions. It's, it's really as though the Israelites are saying to God, you're too demanding. You ask too much. Or what you ask is impossible. I can't do all that. Now, in response to this line of thought, I would draw your attention to verse 8, which is the very end of this passage from Micah that we read today. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? 
You know, if you ask a question of the law, in other words, like, what must I do to be saved? You will get an answer from the law. Do this, do all this, and you'll be saved. But in this case, the question is a bit of hyperbole. It's exaggerated. What more can I do? Fill a river with blood? Is that enough? And God's response is simple. You, you can't really do anything. It's not about what you do. Uh, now, I know it might seem like when God says, uh, like what God is saying is do this law and then giving a new law, do justice, love, and walk humbly. These three things. God says, just do those things and you'll be good. That's not really what he's saying. It's not that way. It's not, oh, you can do those things. No, you can't do those things. That's rather the point. You can't. And I'm telling you that this is not an exhortation to keep the law. This is an assurance that one is humble, that one is humble before God who has a contrite heart in recognition of their sin. That's the one who does justice. That's the one who lives in steadfast love. And moreover, that's the one who receives God's justification and is the recipient of God's steadfast love, is the one who has the contrite heart, recognizing their own sinful nature. God is saying that, in fact, he he doesn't require a river of sacrificial blood by your hands, but simply your faith and trust in him is what is required to save you. Your faith and your trust in him. That's what it means to walk humbly before God. Walking humbly means you don't walk around boasting about your good works. It means you walk around acknowledging your sinful state and boasting of God's grace and God's mercy that even in the midst of my sinful state, God would say, yeah, I'm gonna save you. Yes, I'm gonna deliver you. I'm giving Jesus Christ to shed his blood for your sins. That's what we boast in. And this also is the heart, coming back to our gospel lesson, that's the heart of the Beatitudes. These are the, the, uh, the first uh, 12 verses we read today. These are referred to as the Beatitudes because uh, Beatitude is like a, the Latin word that means blessing. Because uh, Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are. So they're called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are a doorway into which the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is to be understood. It's the way you enter into his teaching and enter into the Sermon on the Mount. You enter by the doorway, and the doorway is right here, these Beatitudes that he speaks. Matthew 5.1 says that Jesus went up the mountain to teach. Well, when we come around to Matthew 7.29, what you're going to see is that Jesus finished his teaching And the people said, he teaches as one who has authority. Matthew 8, 1, Jesus came down from the mountain. So in between, all of this teaching we encounter in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is all the Sermon on the Mount. What we read today is the entrance into that. It is the way we enter and understand all the rest of his teaching as was the case with the Old Testament lesson and is often the case, the Beatitudes are at risk of being understood incorrectly as an exhortation of the law. People do take the Beatitudes and turn them into a new law that has to be followed. In that case, Jesus becomes a new Moses 
You know, Jesus is the, the new Moses that's come to help us follow the law better because, you know, the Israelites had the law, but they couldn't really follow it well enough. So Jesus is coming to say, let me just clarify the law so that you can understand and follow it. Actually, I listened to uh, one of the speakers at uh, Liberty University this past week because the girls are there, you know, at school. And I was listening to uh, the speaker, popular guy, David Jeremiah. And, um, you know, when he gives the law, he does this thing. It's insidious. He does this thing where he gives you the law and it's a little bit better, like a little bit higher than you're presently living and walking. So it gives you something to reach for, but it's not out of reach. It's totally something you could do. So I can see why he's attractive. People like to listen to him because it's like, oh yeah, he's given me a new form of the law that I actually can keep pretty much. That's horrendous. No, the law crushes us. The law shows us our sin. It doesn't give us something that we can achieve. And and, and law-abiding living, like living according to the gospel, is something that, it comes naturally. I mean, it does. To the believer, it comes naturally. You've given a new heart. Your heart is circumcised by God, and you're given this disposition. I mean, the law is good for instructing us still as Christians, but... um, It's not, uh, Jesus did not come to be a new Moses, to give us the law in such a way that we could say, oh yeah, I can live up to that. I can do that, Jesus. Just think of the guy who came to him and said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, you know the commandments. And what did he say? Oh, I've done all of that. Well, isn't that wonderful? Well, it's just one more thing. Just one more thing you gotta do. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. That's what Jesus said. Again, if you ask a question of the law, he's going to give you an answer of the law. But coming back to these Beatitudes, these are not, this is not a new law being given. This is actually a blessing that is being declared and pronounced by Jesus upon the people. He's declaring a state of present, present and future blessing in each of these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who walk humbly, not having a righteousness of their own, but looking to God and his steadfast love to deliver them from their sins. Such a one is blessed right now, immediately. They are blessed by that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who see their sin rightly, Those who confess their sin mourn for their fallen state. And such a one is blessed right now. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Yeah, indeed, humility and meekness go hand in hand with faith. We can't boast of our own righteousness. We have none. We can't boast of our human wisdom. That's the point that Paul made in our lesson from 1 Corinthians. That's why I say it did sort of tie in uh, the lesson from 1 Corinthians. We can't boast in our human wisdom. It's the wisdom of, of God, which is the cross, which is foolishness to the world around us. It's utter foolishness. But no, we boast in the Lord. So we are meek because we walk humbly, but we boast in the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Indeed, all the world is unrighteous. In the natural fallen state of mankind, all of the world is unrighteous. But some people seem perfectly content to just go right on living in an unrighteousness. You know, 
I'm kind of happy with the way things are, God. Just leave me alone, mind your own business, and let me carry on living like I do. So some people are happy to live in a state of unrighteousness. But then there are some who see their fallen sinful state and desire, they hunger for a righteousness that they, they never can seem to get. All of my working, all of my toiling, all of my do this and don't do that, that I'm trying to do is not getting me the righteousness that I hunger for. Well, what does Jesus say? You shall be satisfied. You shall receive that righteousness. Of course, it's an alien righteousness that comes by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In this blessing, we see the disposition of the Christian man. He's merciful because he has received mercy. The broken and contrite heart of the believer sees the mercy that he has received, and his new nature likewise is merciful to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, now surely this one is law, right? Are we commanded to be pure in heart? Listen up, kids, be pure in heart. That's what you must do. No, that's not what he's saying. What what this means, pure in heart, is more like a single-mindedness. It's like there should be one desire of your heart, a single-mindedness, which is focused on God's mercy and forgiveness. Pure in heart uh, also can be uh, opposed to externally pure. The Pharisee who came before the temple and said, thank you, God, that I'm not like this other guy over here, a sinner and tax collector. He was externally pure, but internally he was very dark indeed and impure. Meanwhile, here comes this tax collector, externally not pure to say the least, and he beats his chest and says, have have mercy on me, a sinner. See, that man was pure in heart. His focus was on receiving the mercy that God offers for the sake of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The believer makes peace by the gospel. That's how peace is brought about, is by the peace that comes through the gospel. That's a true peace which surpasses all understanding. It's not a counterfeit peace that this world can offer, because the world can offer you a counterfeit peace that sort of lasts for a little while. But uh, miss a paycheck or get a bad diagnosis and that peace is gone. That peace that you were enjoying is gone. That's a counterfeit peace of the world. The real peace, the true peace, is the peace that God says, no matter what happens in this life, you are my child. You are chosen by me. You are saved. Your eternal security is, is secure. Your eternal Uh, Your eternity is secure. Those who make peace by the gospel here are called sons of God. And the connotation here of sons is not so much like children, although we are children of God. But what's being said here is more like the formal distinction that a son would receive as an heir of God's promises. They They have the formal distinction of being sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely 
on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These last blessings, which I coupled together, and you might consider them two separate blessings, or maybe one. I've seen commentators say both. Um, But I coupled them together because they do go together. These last blessings portend the future of the disciples, the ones that Jesus is speaking to here. They will be hated. They will actually really be hated for the sake of the gospel. They'll be persecuted. They'll be stoned. They'll be beheaded. They'll be burned. And yet they are blessed to suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel. As we read in Acts 5, the apostles were beaten and sent away. And the, uh, Luke records in Acts 5, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing in the beating that they had received. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. For the name of Jesus Christ. They were blessed in this persecution. By the way, I have... <clears throat> It's so funny, the latest uh, magazine from Voice of the Martyrs came out. Read through this. I mean, you want to see what it's like for people to be persecuted. These are people that deal with persecution and are blessed to suffer. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, one such person. When I was getting beaten and tortured, I felt more peace in God. I felt some of the pain that Jesus did when he died for us. Getting beaten was like a blessing for me. Boy, I tell you, these Christians are cuckoo. Man. But this is the faith. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm not saying that everyone, every Christian is ready to suffer that kind of persecution. But I, I do trust that God grants that level of faith to people at their time of need. But we do all suffer persecution. I mean, we all do suffer at different times. So what do we take away from all this? from these Beatitudes. Well, quite simply, you have come here this morning beating your chests and confessing your sin. You have seen yourselves in the mirror of God's law and found yourselves to be wanting. You who have no righteousness of your own, who mourn your own sinful condition, take heart. That's what you take away from this. You take heart because Jesus says you are blessed. That righteousness that you don't have on your own, he is supplying it to you. He gives you his righteousness. Make no mistake about the faith. It's not a flimsy clinging and hoping to something uncertain. Maybe, I hope, I hope that I'm saved in the end. No. You have heard this morning the words of your Savior. That's Jesus saying, you are blessed. The righteousness that you hunger for, it is given to you by God the Father for the sake of God the Son and his suffering for your death and his suffering and death for your sins. By God the Holy Spirit, you are given faith to receive this promise and have this peace. This peace is yours. Take hold of it and have it. Receive it. No matter what happens in this life, through pain, through suffering, through illness, through persecution, through poverty, through deprivation, even through death, 
You are baptized into Christ's life and death. You're a child of God. You are blessed now and for all eternity. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.